Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. Hope you're enjoying your Saturday morning. Plenty to get you caught up on this week as free agency was open across the entire NFL. The Chiefs made two key acquisitions in defensive lineman Charles Amenahu, as well as offensive tackle Jawan Taylor. They also saw Orlando Brown, Colin Saunders, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Juan Thornhill sign with other teams so busy episode plenty to get you caught up on across free agency in the nfl we'll start things off with the latest episode of beach season this was before uh free agency had officially opened so they were just kind of discussing the start of nfl free agency and what we should be looking at for the kansas city chiefs after that we had an emergency arrowhead pride podcast immediately after the chiefs signed new tackle Jawan taylor from the jacksonville jaguars after that, we're going to take a quick time out. Then when we get back, we'll catch up with the Arrowhead Pride editor show. Pete and John discuss Charles Amenahu as well as Jawan Taylor. After that, we'll wrap things up with the Arrowhead Pride draft room as they took a look at some of the holes the Chiefs still need to fill on the roster and recap the busy week in free agency. That's all coming up on today's Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week. Uh, there's a lot of news this week, guys. A lot of things coming out. This has been kind of a whirlwind of a week. Um we mentioned a little bit, we've mentioned multiple times before, um, I think even on this podcast once before, Odell Beckham Jr., his knee's better, you know, it seems like every six months there's some sort of Odell Beckham Jr. to the Chiefs smoke that comes up on our timelines. Um, is this one different? They said that he wants, the rumor is that he wants $20 million a year. I don't think that the Chiefs give $20 million a year to Odell Beckham Jr., no matter what. I do think that Brett Veach has a crush and total hard eyes for Odell Beckham Jr. Um, I what was it last year before uh, free agency and the draft? He was talking about the type of players that he would go for. And he just like like un, unprovoked, he brought up Odell Beckham Jr. as the type of wide receiver that the Chiefs were looking for. Um, so I think that that Veach wants him on the team, but I don't know at what price. Not at twenty. Like there's a rumor is twenty million dollars. Not at twenty million dollars. I don't think Veach. No matter how much Veach loves you, he doesn't love you like that. Like that's like he doesn't love his own kids for twenty million dollars. I don't think. Um, so Price, what do you think? End of the day, what's going on with Odell Beckham Jr.? Well, I think there's two things that kind of need to be put to bed a little bit with Odell Beckham Jr. before you can really analyze the player. One of them is is that he hasn't mattered or hasn't really been productive in a while. I think when you look back at what he did with the Rams, he was a good player and definitively put that offense in a position to help win the Super Bowl. Him leaving that game was a big loss for that team and the Super Bowl, but he had already I mean he had scored a touchdown in that game. He was a big part of what got that offense back on track after they lost Robert Woods. He played on a run-heavy team with a bad quarterback that's looking for a job now with the Browns before. 
that was kind of not up to him. He got traded there. I think the other thing is, is Odell Beckham Jr. a, a clubhouse cancer? I This is something that you see pretty often. I There's a little smoke there, right? Like the kind of the way that he wanted out of the Browns. I don't think he's low maintenance, we'll put it that way. But I'm not sure he's a clubhouse cancer. And I think winning is kind of the ultimate cure for that. Ultimately, here's what I think. I think the Chiefs have a role that needs filled, and it's that Juju Smith-Schuster role. I think that they need another veteran, someone who can come in and eat up the space that Travis Kelsey creates while Sky Moore, Kadarius Toney, maybe another rookie wide receiver develop, and then Marquez Valdez runs down and touch the goalpost and come back every time. That's a need for them. Whoever they think fills that role best at the best cost is what it's going to be. Is it DeAndre Hopkins? Is it Odell Beckham Jr.? Is it... Juju Smith-Schuster. All those players are kind of come to mind. I I think that they have someone in mind. Beckham has been someone who can get open man versus man. And that's something one of the few things that the Chiefs did struggle with a little bit. So, yeah, I'd be interested on an incentive-laden, you know, kind of similar Juju Smith-Schuster deal. He'll probably get a little bit more than that just because of the name and everything that he is. But, again, pretty much all analysis you can do of every free agent or trade that's going to come to the Chiefs right now and pretty much – as long as Patrick Mahomes plays here, it's going to be, well, if the price is right, if the cost, you know, and that's fair. I, I think that you can certainly do worse than Odell Beckham Jr. I'd kind of rather them do that than go out and give DeAndre Hopkins a new contract if, if those are my choices. So, yeah, I, I'm partially in. I'm halfway in. But I do think he's a player that still, like, I don't think he's this clubhouse cancer or that his, you know, that he's just this washed player or anything like that. I don't think he's a watch player. I mean, you talk about clubhouse cancers, you really got to kind of lean on Andy Reid. And how often do we hear people say, and players specifically, Andy Reid lets his players be like, that's their personality show, right? Like, he's not afraid to, for guys to have a big personality. Look at Travis Kelsey, look at Chris Jones, you look at Kadarius Tony. These are all guys with kind of big personalities that the Chiefs do not shy away from. Yeah. And it, and it really does help. There's no questions. There's, there is one alpha in that locker room and everyone knows who he is. You got freaking Baker Mayfield shaving in between halftime of a game. Like that was a clown show, man. Patrick freaking Mahomes. Like there, the list of players that can talk trash about Patrick Mahomes right now are zero, zero. That's why everyone talks about his brother. Cause they've got nothing else to say about Patrick Mahomes. So like if Odell Beckham jr. Comes into this locker room, there's no question who the big dog is. So maybe, maybe this is what he needs a place where it's not Eli Manning all washed up and Daniel Jones and Baker Mayfield. It's, you know, it's Travis Kelsey, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Chris Jones, and it's Andy Reid. So where he can come in and be the person that he is and not try to be the leader of the locker room. 100%. And and you hit the nail on the head. Like, he, like Patrick Mahomes is such a perfect player that they have to go after his little brother and his wife to cyber bully them to try to, like, pick him apart because there's nothing you can do to pick apart Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is so good that his own father, who is a professional athlete on a World Series winning team, walked up to him after he won the Super Bowl and said, I have never seen anything like you in my entire life. You are built different. Like when your own father, the guy who raised you, the guy who taught you how to throw your first baseball, right? Before you even played football, the guy who taught you to get interested in sports and kind of raised you up around a clubhouse with with Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, all these Hall of Famers, all these world-class athletes. And he says, like, "I, I am stunned. 
at, the, at at who you are as an athlete. I have never seen anything like you in my entire life. Like nobody knows you like your own parents. And if you floor your own parents with your ability, then that is saying something. And so when you, as long as you have number 15, you're right. You can pretty much do whatever you want. Um, let's throw it over to you, Connor. What do you think, man? Would you, would you roll the dice on OBJ on, on like a Juju Smith-Schuster type contract? Or are you confident enough to give him, give him a longer deal? So I've, I've gone back and forth with OBJ the last few years because the rumors have always been there. This is the first time that I'm actually thinking about it. And the one comparison I think of is OBJ is 30 years old. The last time a 30-year-old disgruntled wide receiver off of a couple bad years changing teams went to a Hall of Fame type of wide receiver was Randy Moss. And that is something that I can see happening is OBJ playing with the best quarterback in his life and the best offense in his life. A dude like Andy Reid getting him open. You know, defenses have to pay attention to Travis Kelsey, so he's not going to be the center of the, of the defense. The possibilities are endless. So am I giving him $20 million? No. I'd rather have Tyree Kill. But if we give him, you know, a $12 million a year contract with some incentives, absolutely. You go after it, give him a two-year contract, and see what happens because I think he is the best wide receiver on the market right now. What about something like this? You give him one year, $8 million, and then $500,000 for every touchdown he catches. Absolutely. <laughs> and if he breaks the record, it's yeah. who cares? Who, who cares? cares? Absolutely. Who cares? All right, Zach, what about you, man? Wrap us up here with the Odell Beckham Jr. talk. What's, what do you got? You know, going into this conversation, I was on the uh, I was on the wagon of I don't even want OBJ anywhere near the Chiefs because I just – I mean, I, th- I felt the same last year, but y'all got me thinking about it. And I agree at the right price, I would take him because there's really no one better. And draft picks are, you know, maybe they're good. Maybe they're not. So yes, he's 30. Yes, he's coming off of a bad knee, but what what else can we do? I mean, our wide receiver core just really isn't all that good right now. Well, and it's going to take 12 weeks for any rookie to learn Andy Reid's offense. We know this is that's just a fact. And so, yeah, maybe they're going to be ready for a playoff run, but they're not going to come and hit the ground running like OBJ um, would. But speaking of OBJs, the Chiefs had their own OBJ, um, Orlando Brown Jr., who they declined the franchise tag. And then also their starting right tackle, Andrew Wiley, is also a free agent. And then uh, Prince is also a restricted free agent. So the Chiefs currently have one offensive tackle on their roster who's listed as an offensive tackle, and that is um, our good, good old friend, uh, you know, Lucas Niang, who, who stays on the field about as often as I would stay on the field if I stepped out on the uh, in Arrowhead Stadium. So uh, – you know, Connor, tell me, what in the H-E double hockey sticks are the Chiefs going to do at tackle? I don't think it's Orlando Brown. Um, and I was on the boat of re-signing Orlando Brown, but I think his market has just outchased the, the Chiefs' budget. I think a team like the Bears are going to come in and give him top-line money. And Brett Veach has shown that he's not going to do that, and I think those conversations happened 
And Brett Veach said, okay, go find your market. But I don't want to hold that cap space in the um, the franchise tag because he wants to go do other things. So I can see us going after any one of those uh, tackles that are in free agency. But I think that Brett Veach is actually going to sign a right tackle over a left tackle. And we're going to figure out our left tackle in the draft. So give me a name at a, a right tackle that you think that the Chiefs might go after. I like Mike McGlinchey from uh, the 49ers. Uh, Predator. Predigy is there. You know, he was drafted in the, the ninth pick overall back in 2018. He hasn't been amazing, but he's been solid. And I think that's really all you kind of have to look for. And I think with there's so many right tackles on the market right now, I think you might be able to get him for a little bit cheaper of a deal than you'd expect. You know, I would not hate Mike McClinchy, um lining up on the Chiefs offensive line. I think that would be a real steal uh, if the Chiefs could work it out. Um, Zach, how, how would you fix – the Chiefs tackle situation currently. Give me some names of some guys that you would look at. Um, going into the draft, I'm looking at left tackles. Um, I mean, honestly, just tackles in general because I'm I'm not even happy with our right tackle situation. So I'm looking at people like, you know, trade up, get Paris Johnson. Um, Broderick Jones. I don't know about Anton Harrison, but the two that I named above are the ones that I would absolutely go for. A couple bits of Chiefs news from this morning, but let's start with the main story. And that is that the Chiefs are signing offensive tackle Jawan Taylor to a four-year contract from all the main newsbreakers that seem to be in, in the know. This is signifying the end of left tackle Orlando Brown Jr.'s tenure with the team. They had chosen not to franchise tag him, meaning he is heading to unrestricted free agency. Nate, you are already watching clips of Taylor, so we're happy that you're available for us here today. What have you seen so far? What do you like? Yeah, so I just watched the one game in the playoffs versus the Chargers real quick, um, and he's a truly elite pass protector. Juwan Taylor is significantly better as a pass protector than Orlando Brown Jr., uh, there's already been some comparisons to Mitchell Schwartz, and I understand it because Taylor, he doesn't overwhelm with athleticism or he doesn't overwhelm with size or anything like that, but the technique is just so polished. He handled Cleo Mack, Joey Bosa, Kyle Vannoy, all on an island on their own. He handled them in different ways. He's just the one thing that's like truly great about him, and I know you know there'll be a lot of discussion about is he a left tackle, is he a right yeah. tackle. He is a elite pass protector. We'll see if he can make that transition. But in terms of an upgrade in pass protection, it is tangible between Jawan Taylor and Orlando Brown Jr. My understanding right now is that the Chiefs see Taylor as their left tackle at this moment. They really Mm -hmm. believe in his athleticism. If you take a look at this clip we've put up at arrowheadpride.com from Rise and Grind Training, no offense to our, our good friend and former chief Orlando Brown, but these workouts seem a little bit more intense than tennis <laughs> and the underhands that we were seeing out of the, the Brown camp last summer. I want to follow up with you, Nate, on just the idea of him moving from right tackle to left tackle. From what you've seen so far, he seems to have the athleticism to do it. What do mm-hmm. you think the learning curve might be there? it's it's hard to say because some guys handle it well and some guys don't it really is one of those case-by-case things what i would say though is that his overall kind of technique and footwork from right tackle is already very sharp 
it's pretty clear that he's you know a smart player. He has a good understanding of fundamentals. So if he's able to transfer that to the left side, he, he should be able to hold up well there. There's nothing about his overall kind of athletic profile that would suggest to me that like he can't play left tackle or he can't hold up on an island. So it could be one of those things that maybe takes like a few weeks for him uh, in live reps in the NFL next season to kind of get that uh, fixed. But I, I think he can do it. It's certainly I'm going to give the Chiefs the benefit of the doubt on this one. Andy Heck, Andy Reid, Brett Beach, they've certainly had a conversation about this. And what I would say is there's nothing about his skill set that would concern me about it. It'll be interesting to see. I, I, I'm definitely interested to see what it looks like, but I, I have more optimism the more I've thought about it. Well, there you go. He's Nate Christensen. You can catch his film review as he dives into more of this Taylor film later today at arrowheadpride.com. Thank you, Nate. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, we're continuing on with our emergency podcast as we get into the numbers of this thing. And John, not that you can't watch a little film for us, but this is your area of expertise. What do you make of this four-year, $80 million contract with the reported $60 million guaranteed? Well, this could be structured a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I could spend a lot of time playing around with numbers, but in all probability before the days that we'll have what the actual numbers are, yeah. and we'll be able to calculate this a lot better. To start with, I'm going to assume that Brett Veach has figured out that the first year cap hit is going to be, uh, say, less than $12 million, someplace between 6 and $12 million. And this contract doesn't sound like one that couldn't be structured where that could be done. For now, I'm just going to say that it's probably going to be around an eight or nine million dollar cap hit, which gives the Chiefs, um, you know, still some cap space. Uh, not very much. They only started with fifteen point two million today. But uh, and, and, you know, I could be surprised. Feach might have said, no, let's pay this as we go. And we may see a move uh, later in the day that will open up cap space. Um, but they've still got 36 hours to get that done because it doesn't yep. count until 3 p.m. on uh, on Wednesday. <clears throat> so and they've if nothing else, they can always break glass in case of emergency on Patrick Mahomes deal and get some cap space there. But there's a couple of other things they could do to raise cap space if they need it to make this deal work. As you're looking at the left tackle market, and, and again, we, we believe Taylor's going to be there, you're, you're seeing the top averages per year go Trent Williams, David Bakhtiari, and Laramie mm -hmm. Tunsil that are all over what would be $20 million a year. Then you get mm -hmm. underneath. So, again, it, it's not breaking the left tech tackle bank. And, and based upon some of the things that I, I'm hearing, they – the Chiefs really feel that this could be one of the better left tackles in the league. So in a way, it could be a bargain. And those players that I just mentioned, Williams, Bakhtiari, and Tunzel, 35, 32, and 29. This is the big difference in Kansas City. And, and this is, in a way, reminds me of the move for Justin Reed over Tyron Matthew, for example. I know it's a different position, but you're going younger, right? And so there's just a natural advantage to that. And so... The Chiefs love these deals for these guys in their mid-20-somethings that have proven they could play in the NFL and they lock them up for uh, what would be a, a really long time. And so we will see how this Taylor move impacts the Chiefs. I, I have mentioned on AP in my write-up of this, the Chiefs have been connected to Tunzel as well. So I think that Taylor's going to be the left tackle uh, until he's not, right? If this somehow Tunzel smoke <laughs> turns into fire, then my assumption is that Tunzel would be your left tackle and Taylor would be your right tackle. And you're looking at a pretty damn elite 
five-man offensive line for the Chiefs. But again, we'll have to wait and see. If not, John, my anticipation is that Lucas Niang is going to get an opportunity at right tackle. This is the other news story of the day, uh, and that is that Andrew Wiley has left the Chiefs, joining Eric Bieniemy and the Washington Commanders on what will be a three-year contract to become their right tackle. No huge surprise there, John. No, and I think this is another case where Eric Bieniemy is bringing in a guy just like we said on the last editor's show, who's going to be someone who can translate what his vision for the team is uh, in the locker room, you know, at the player level. And that's a great thing for Eric Bieniemy to be doing. Um, you know, I've said many times that the Chiefs love Wiley's attitude, and I'm sure that Eric Bieniemy buys into that as well. So it's not a big surprise that a player like Wiley ends up with the commanders at this point. I'm very encouraged uh, by what Nate was telling us about Taylor here. But, you know, even if you think that this is yet another situation where we get a right tackle that we're moving to left tackle and he's not much better than Orlando Brown was, let's, let's, let's call that the worst case scenario. What the Chiefs have done here is gotten a guy for less than they could have paid Orlando Brown. Mm-hmm. And who will play where they want him to play, which yeah. Orlando Brown was not willing to do. So if it turns out he needs to play right tackle, he'll do it. And uh, so I think this is this is almost almost has to be a positive at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I had mentioned those left tackle contracts. Without a doubt, Orlando Brown is going to be over that, in my opinion. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I think he's going to be making more money than this contract was. So I think it's a, a win there. Steve, a lot of offensive line movement. Steve Serta, our Arrowhead Pride podcast producer. What's your initial reaction as Kansas City joins the frenzy, as they say, Steve? <laughs> well, I, I like Joan Taylor. And yeah, he, he's younger. And I, I think that he is a good offensive lineman now. I don't know if the Chiefs built up their confidence from Orlando Brown being a right tackle (laughs) and them having quite a bit of success, really, I I guess, uh, moving him to left tackle. Now they're like, we can just do this every year. We'll just move these guys all along the offensive line. But my initial thought when they signed him and when when the details of the contract came out was like maybe – left tackle still in play, but instead of a Laramie Tunsil trade, this is a, we're going to try to attack this position in the NFL draft. We've still got Mm -hmm. a lot of draft picks. Maybe we can move up and try to get our left tackle in the future there, which would make a lot of sense because you're paying Joe Tooney a lot of money. Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith are guys that could be coming up for contracts here in the next couple of years. And you have to figure out what you're doing here. So you have Lucas Niang, you bring in Jawan Taylor, who could be a plug and play right tackle guy. And then you try to go draft a left tackle so you still have some flexibility along the offensive line with a cheap rookie contract at that premium position. But if they're automatically moving him to left tackle, I I tend to agree with you, Pete, that it probably means Lucas Niang is going to be their starting right tackle next season. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't try to attack the offensive line in the draft and and try to still move up possibly or, or do something there to try to beef up the offensive line, which is something that is very important to them. And that's why they haven't, you know, just stood back and watched these things Mm -hmm. unfold over the last couple of years. That's why they were super active this year and saying, okay, Orlando's hitting the market. We're not going to do it. But then immediately you hear while they're talking to teams about possibly trading and immediately it's Laramie Tunsil. And then it's, oh no, they just signed Jawan Taylor to a big deal. And (laughs) I don't, 
I don't hate the move because it, there is flexibility there. If you think that he can be your starting left tackle, well, the contract that you just gave him, like you guys already mentioned, is relatively cheap compared to what the tackles are going to be commanding moving forward yeah. and what Orlando Brown is probably asking for right now. So you pay him kind of high-end right tackle money, but you can move him to left tackle if you need to. Then you still try to draft and develop some guys, and then now all of a sudden you've got some flexibility along the offensive line. So I think there's good process with this move. I think that he is a good player who is going to be really good for the Kansas City Chiefs just depending on how they deploy him. There's just still a lot of other question marks that, that I'm trying to piece together just based <laughs> on the details of this one contract. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun. But it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Okay, we got a, a big show here. It is day one of the new league year we actually recording a couple hours before so this would be us on new year's eve about nine o'clock p.m <laughs> if we were doing it for the real new year uh where we would be talking about what that means and it is a little anticlimactic it it feels always john a, a little dumb to me mm -hmm. that we have a the scouting combine which is the tampering haven usa followed by what begins to be legal tampering, which started on Monday, and you have all these deals coming through. Nothing is more silly than the fact that teams that have trades during this time can't even officially report that they've acquired a player. They have to wait until the new league year. So you'll see transactions that come out right at 3 p.m. Arrowhead time on today, Wednesday. And I wish that they would alter these rules and, and just kind of admit that everyone talks here, but we are still doing the the show and, and the dance of, well, none of these deals can become official until the new league year begins. You know, one of the things that I find uh, most interesting about this particular 
legal tampering period is one of the biggest stories of free agency is the Baltimore Ravens quarterback, Lamar Jackson, who is on the franchise tag. And, uh, you know, in theory would have a lot of people talking to him about the possibility of playing for them, but because he doesn't have an agent, they can't contact him under the legal uh, tampering period. Only agents uh, are allowed to talk to teams about their clients. So he's been sitting there the last couple of days while all this other stuff is going on and quarterbacks are moving from team to team and nobody can even talk to his agent because he doesn't have an agent. Well, and I guess his mom, but if she's not right. registered, I guess they can't talk to him. So, <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, the, the Baltimore Ravens and and the really the Green Bay Packers, New York Jets, Aaron Rodgers situation is probably the two biggest stories in the NFL yeah. right now because they're having mm-hmm. to do with, with the quarterbacks. We could talk for an entire podcast about the sure. Lamar Jackson situation with all these teams coming out and saying they're not interested in a for, former MVP and what that <laughs> means and the implications that it goes on with the league and. And, you know, you talk about tampering. A lot of people have used the C word, which is collusion when it comes to that situation. But we have a lot to just talk about when it comes to these Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to go through the news as we do. We will talk about the wide receiver market and the second half of the show, why it's been so slow. We'll talk about the Chiefs that are remaining uh, as free agents. And then we'll go through the draft picks. We have a flash poll. Ton to talk about here on this Wednesday edition, this new league year edition of the Arrowhead Pride editor show. But first we have a rating and a review. This from longtime listener, Clinton McKenzie. This lineup of podcasts is consistently excellent. Each and every show is strong. I think my favorite is still the editor's show, which features Pete Sweeney and John Dixon. These are two of the most respected chiefs voices for me. Moreover, they are simply intelligent, personable, and funny men. I never miss an episode and I never fail to learn something from them. So thank you, gentlemen. Nice. Nice. Showering showering us in, in compliments john well I, I keep telling my family members to just stop doing that but that, yeah they, 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 they can't be Good stopped old cousin clint that's right <laughs> all right let's get into the the news of last night we didn't do an emergency podcast because it was it was 9 p.m and uh we we just had to talk off air about Work-life balance. So we didn't jump on here, but let's talk about it now. The Chiefs get a defensive end out of it, John. Uh, Charles Amenehu is signed uh, to the the Chiefs, and really it's a defensive line hybrid. And this Mm -hmm. has become a theme for Kansas City over the years of Steve Spagnuolo, but even more so, I think, this year or two. I believe it was – was it just this last year with Joe Cullen? I'm I'm misremembering it right now. Yes, just this last year with Mm -hmm. Joe Cullen – Uh, as a defensive line coach, what he's building here is this positionless defensive line and a menu menu fits that mold, John, of, of being a part of that. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny. He's, he's listed, uh, as a defensive tackle, I believe. Uh, anyway, that's the way he's was being described on social media and these posts about the, the signing. But then when you look at his snap counts on like pro football focus, uh, he lines up on the outside a lot more often than he lines up on the inside, but, but he is a hybrid player who can be used anywhere on the line. And that's just the kind of guy who fits in perfectly, not only with Spagnola, but also with, with Joe Cullen. I think I got it wrong a couple of times. So I want to make this clear here. It's pronounced Omenahu. So just to, right. just to correct myself there, uh, as we move forward, it's spelled 
O-M-E-N-I-H-U. So it could go either way, but I got I to gotta lock that in my brain before I go on 610 Sports Radio with just friends here at the Arrowhead Pride right. uh, Podcast Network. So it's Omena, Omena Who, uh, and he will become a, a big-time player for the Chiefs. Chiefs really like his length. They like his explosiveness. I think they're really attracted to the idea. And you, you talked about him on the outside, John, but him being next to Chris Jones and what mm-hmm. that might mean yeah. from a pass-rushing standpoint. Wanted to talk to our lead analyst, Ron Kopp, about this. He was able to go through the film last night. So that's up at arrowheadpride.com right now. But I'll just read this synopsis since he was unavailable this morning. Ron said, the Chiefs needed to add to their defensive ends group in some capacity. They could steal, uh, they could still probably use an investment through the draft as well. But Amenahu gives them an immediate contributor to creating disruption as a pass rusher. He projects to be in any of the Chiefs' best pass rush packages. He gives defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo another layer of unpredictability with those packages, something he and Kansas City coaching staff uh, have clearly valued uh, at the position. So really good in pass rushing. It seems like there might be some work to do when it comes to stopping the run. But this is also, John, a player that is receiving this two-year $20 million max deal. Mm-hmm. It has been out there that he's guaranteed $16 million of that, that $20 million. He's only 25, he'll be 26 in August, and so far he's been a rotational player, but it, it does seem like the Chiefs are signing him to be a more regular player, but what does that mean for the Chiefs? The Chiefs like to rotate their defensive line anyway, so if he was receiving, let's say, 40 to 50% of the snaps for the San Francisco 49ers, maybe he's more in the realm of 70, 80 here in Kansas City. Yeah, maybe. Uh, we'll we'll just have to see how it plays out. I, I think this is one of those situations where the Chiefs have an idea what they'd like to do with him, but they won't make a final decision until they've had an opportunity to see how he fits into the program and, and how things work the best. You know, this, we see this with Steve Spagnuolo year after year after year that for the first, you know, five, six games of the season at least, He's experimenting with uh, what combinations in this particular roster work the best for the defense. And so sometimes the defense isn't great in the early part of the season, but then by the time you get to the end, it's it's playing top, uh, top-notch top football. And I think this is another case where we might see some change in, in how it plays out as time goes on. Yeah, and, and I, I think you're right. Uh, and I, it does seem like... Spagnolo is willing to, to to change things up as as they go, and it's good to get guys in this early because they can start to play around with different types of of lineups uh, here in in the off season. And we'll get to know these guys uh, as we go. We're we're expecting there to be some press conferences at some point. Typically, mm-hmm. they would be at the end of this week or the beginning of next. So we'll get to see and speak to this guy in Kansas City and, and see what he's all about. But some exciting additions this week amena who was the second one uh, we did get Jawan taylor we did have the emergency podcast john and so if you want to hear us discuss taylor and, and what he might mean for the chiefs the Chiefs signing a offensive tackle from the jacksonville jaguars has been a right tackle in the nfl but there have been some theories ron we just talked about included john uh, as far as maybe the chiefs are seeing him as the left tackle right now um, because he would have to be. Orlando Brown is is out there. There have been these rumblings mm-hmm. in the league. Sees him as a right tackle. We know in Kansas City how he feels about 
playing on the right side. Uh, you know, spoiler, he, he doesn't want to do it. And so uh, his whole situation is being held up. But right now here in Kansas City, Brown is a free agent. You have Juwan Taylor here. The Chiefs see him right now, most likely as their left tackle. But he has played right tackle and he has done it at an extremely high level. Ron has suggested on, on our site, you can go look at that article as well, that maybe this is the Chiefs putting themselves in position to trade up for what could be a mm-hmm. day one starter at left tackle, a left tackle of the future. Where do you land on that, John? Well, I think that's distinctly possible. Um, but I also think that, you know, I, I did some, spent a little time yesterday looking at uh, our uh, list of draft prospects and how they ranked in our composite rankings, trying to figure out, you know, what the left tackle market would look like at the 31st pick. And I know some guys are crazy about this uh, this young tackle at BYU. And, of course, Andy Reid is always high on these BYU guys. It might be that the Chiefs are just going to sit tight and take, you know, a guy like that who projects to go someplace late in the second round with that 31st pick because they like him. Uh, I, I, I don't know for a fact that the Chiefs really want to trade up they might have somebody in mind that they're pretty sure they can get with that 31st pick. And uh, so they're getting uh, they're getting Juwan so they are covered. You know, they're, they have a guy who can play left tackle in case they can't get the guy we want, they want at 31st. But what they really want is to bring in a young player uh, that they really believe in on the left and have Juwan play on the right. But again... You know, it's all going to depend on how these guys look when they get them together, and that includes the rookie players. Yeah, and I think this leads you to believe that maybe there's a move to be made for Brett Veach. I, I was going to talk about this at the end of the show, but let's just bring it in right now. The The Chiefs have a, a first-rounder. We know that that's at 31. The Chiefs have a, a second-rounder, 63. They have a round three pick. They have two round fours. They have a round five. They have... Uh, around two round sixes, uh, and then they have the two uh, round sevens. So that's a lot of picks, John, to to work mm-hmm. with. Yeah. And in talking to the Chiefs and some of the personnel members at the Super Bowl, I think that, that something to remember is they never really went in thinking that they would have a chance at Trent McDuffie, where uh, this plan seems a little bit more deliberate. You know, I, I think there are some other positions that might push some tackles down, especially when you talk about quarterbacks, a lot of quarterbacks are expected to go in the first round and maybe the chiefs can get into that 15 to 25 range. Uh, I think they'd, they'd rather it be more in the 20 to 25 range because it would take less capital, but to go up and, and get a tackle that they feel good about. And maybe they have multiple choices here where they feel good about a couple and feel like, okay, if someone can get into that range where it's a little bit more tradable to, to get up, uh, they go and, and do it. I, I think when you look at all these picks, I don't expect the Chiefs to be using all of these. I think they have too much young talent to bring in a whole new 10-man crop of, of rookies. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think it's somewhere along the line in this draft, you're going to see them trade up, and, and why not it for the, first, for the second straight year in Kansas City in the first round? Broke down Jawan Taylor for us. Lickety split as soon as as soon as he broke. <laughs> how how you feeling this week? Yeah, usually my spring break correlates with free agency, so it's always a good week for me to kind of uh, catch up on free agency film. So um, yeah, I, I love free agency. It's probably my favorite week of the year. Um, I like free agency more than the draft. 
um, just because I know more about pro personnel than right. draft personnel for the most part. Um, it's a fun week. Uh, you know, the Chiefs are never always super active in free agency. They don't sign like 10 different players, but that's okay. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about the guys that Chiefs signed individually, but it's always a fun week. It's always fun with the Chiefs. They always seem to make one splash a year at least. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm always looking forward to it. It always sucks when it's like the second or third week of free agency and nothing happens. Right. I know. And that's where I think we're, we're recording at a good time, right? Cause there is stuff that's still going to happen. we got to talk about mm-hmm. that. There's still people to be signed. There's still, you know, definitely some good names out there still waiting to, to, and we still got to figure out, you know, again, you mentioned Caleb mentioned it, man, Mahomes. you know, they, they had to free that up by Friday is, is what I saw. So I think they were doing that anyway, maybe, but I don't know. They, they freed that up for some reason. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But Nate, I did. I did say you broke down the Jawan Taylor news for us. Um, that's where we're going to start with the, with the two big free agent signings that the Chiefs have made this week. Um, they both broke before uh, the Wednesday. Well, no, Omenihu broke. Was that no? That was Tuesday night, right? Yeah, that was Tuesday yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. So both broke before the the true uh, uh, period, free agency period began during the legal tampering period. Uh, former Jacksonville Jaguars right tackle Jawan Taylor was signed to that four year, eighty million dollar deal. Charles Omenihu, the former 49ers pass rusher, defensive lineman, he was signed to a two-year deal worth up to $20 million, um, with some incentives in there, I think. So so a couple a couple names, you know, a couple guys that maybe aren't the biggest names, you know, right, obviously, uh, but but guys that fit what the Chiefs have done in free agency, I think. And, 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 and you look at Brett Veach's history, right, it seems like he likes these, you know, Prime age, 25, 26 years old, coming off the rookie contract. You know, both of these guys are coming off of the first four years in their in their NFL careers. But Jawan Taylor is obviously a more interesting one, right? And, and, Nate, that's where I want you to kind of give us your first – you know, again, you broke it down for the site. You were the first one mm-hmm. on it. And uh, I don't know. I guess they're just your first thoughts on, on bringing him in, giving him a big deal, $20 million a year. And, and, you know, whether or not he's the left tackle, right tackle, we're going to get into that. But just who he is as a player, how do you feel about him? Well, talk about the player in the film individually. I think this is a great contract. Um, he's 25 years old. He's an elite, elite pass protector. Um, I There's no scheme issues that I'm worried about. Uh, yes, Jacksonville throws the ball a lot quicker than obviously like Kansas City will. Um, but Juwan Taylor is just a very good player that has all the athletic traits you want out of a pass protector. Um, light feet. He's got a good anchor. He's got the uh, requisite length for Andy Reid. Uh, pretty technically sound. I think he's a pretty fluid player. Um, so in terms of the investment on pass protection, we'll talk about if he's going to play left or right tackle. I think it makes sense. Um, even if he is slated just to be a right tackle, I think it would have been absolutely worth it. Because for me, if I'm paying offensive tackle, they need to be great in pass protection. And, I, you know, it's not that Jawan Taylor is perfect, but he held up versus Joey Bosa. He held up versus Khalil Mack. I honestly thought he did a better job versus Max Crosby than I've seen pretty much anybody. Like even Mitchell Schwartz didn't handle Max Crosby as well. I thought Juwan Taylor did at times. Um, so in terms of that investment, it's good. In terms of the left or right thing, I, I honestly, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say because I, I said this on the emergency pod when they signed him. Some guys handle it well, some guys don't. It's really one of those things that it's a case-by-case basis. Me personally, when I'm like watching off at the tackles for the draft, I don't designate left or right tackle. I just grade tackles for each what they are. So if the Chiefs obviously had some experience teaching Orlando Brown how to pass it at left tackle, we can argue whether the results were great or not, but they at least got him to be a functional left tackle. If they could do the same for Jawan Taylor, and he's, let's just say, 95% as good as a left tackle as he is as a right tackle, then it's a bargain. 
like it's a bargain for around that 19, $20 million a year for where the top end tackle market is. That 95% is still a very good tackle, a very good pass protect tackle and a massive upgrade over Orlando Browns. So for me, I think it's a great signing. Yeah, no, and 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 you mentioned I, I mentioned the prime age again, but this is a guy you're paying for what he's going to do, right? You know, you're not paying for past performance. You know, I, I always like that. You always like to see that. You know, you're kind of projecting that he's even going to get better, right? Because I think this last year was definitely his best season, and so you see that progression. But Caleb, I know you agree with Nate on on a lot of, of the points of of right the pass protection being elite. You know, the run blocking maybe not being as impressive. I know you you pointed that out on the AP film, or you broke it down on the YouTube show for us, but. I don't know. Yeah, let's dive into that question because that's the the main thing for me. So, Caleb, I want your take on, you know, should he, you know, what do you feel about left or right side? And just how do you think the Chiefs have played it? Because I think you had an interesting uh, take on how the Chiefs have kind of come out and talked about it. Yeah, they've, you know, as important as having a good left tackle is in the NFL, you got to have a guy that's just as good on the right. Because when you get into some of these big-time games, you're going to have two teams with elite pass rushers. But what the Chiefs have done is smart. You know, they've kind of gone out here and said, oh, well, he can play left tackle too, but that's kind of like a nice little bluff they made. So now it's kind of, you know, these teams don't know. They've gotten guys off their trail, really, you know, if they're going to move up for one of the top tackles or what their, you know, kind of what their draft plan is. Because I feel like before Jawan Taylor broke, when they announced that they weren't going to be basically, they're not bringing back Orlando, you know, it was kind of like, well, darn, that pigeonholes us into almost having to trade up to where a team they might have wanted to trade up with could have gotten more picks out of them because they'd have seen, you know, they'd recognized a desperate team. Now the Chiefs are in position to wheel and deal. It's really frees up a lot of what they can do in this draft, you know, yeah. to where if they're comfortable with Taylor at left tackle, you know, maybe they draft Jalen Duncan in the third. Maybe they wait on that and say, you know, maybe you can do, you know, maybe we can get our developmental guy, or maybe they find a team that's looking to move back and, you know, Maybe Paris Johnson or Anton Harrison are on the board at like 22. And they move up nine spots. It just opens up a lot of opportunities, and it provides a lot of security having a player of Taylor's level. You said it best, though. These aren't really two big-name signings they made, but they're not paying for the names. They're paying for the production of the player. And really, Taylor, his past, you know, his past production, all of that, it's spoken for itself throughout his career. Yeah, and and it's really nice to see him come from Doug Peterson's offense, where you got to imagine some of that, you know, terminology, some of uh, some of just the the overall, you know, how the offense is run, how the offense is taught. You have to imagine he has some of that, you know, in, in terms of you know Andy Reid, Doug Doug Peterson being, you know, former uh, you know coaches together. So, yeah, no, I'm 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 pretty passionate about the fact that I really hope I, I really want to see the Chiefs make a concerted effort, be aggressive about keeping him at right tackle because I. As much as you guys have mentioned the the elite pass protection, which you do want that on the left side. I mean, I get mm. you know you, if you've got to do one or the other, I would I would rather have it on the left side. I mean, there's no doubt sure. about it because one side Mahomes can see clearly, the other he can't, and and you know that's just how it is. I get that Mahomes has a great you know eyes in the back of his head, he can feel it, but at the same time, Juwan Taylor has made his career just earned that sixty million guaranteed as a right tackle. Mm-hmm. He, he played in college, except for two games, his entire college career. He was a right tackle. He, may, he had two left tackle starts his junior year. It's just, I, I don't want them to commit all this money to somebody and then not, you know, just, just automatically say, okay, we, you know, we feel good about you at left tackle. Let's not even worry mm-hmm. about it. If that's gotta be what happens fine. Cause I do, I do see how he could translate to left tackle. He has the footwork, right? He has, again, the, the pass protection is, is, is awesome. And I, and I see that too. I've only watched a few games, but um, definitely can see it. But again, 
I Caleb was pointing at it a little bit, but I really want this to be, let's go up and get our guy. Let's go up and get our future franchise left tackle. Even if it means getting crazy, I'm sorry, but if it <laughs> means getting crazy, getting way up there to go get your guy Veach, let's do it, man. Let's solidify this offensive line. I heard plenty of people in the comments talking about on my article, talking about right tackle. You know, that's a big contract for a right tackle, man. If the left tackle is on a rookie deal, it offsets itself. Who cares which side is getting paid more? Uh, you know, yeah. it'd be the same thing if the left tackle was paid a lot and the right tackle was a rookie. So I'm pretty passionate about this fellas. I think they need to do their best to keep my right tackle. I'm not saying I'm going to be mad if he's the left tackle next year. Um, but I really think with the, the money they've committed um, and just who he is as a player, let's just keep him comfortable, keep him where he is and keep him confident. I think offensive line, a lot of times is just confidence. You know, I, I, I you know, I, you know, confidence and knowing what you're going to do and, Hey, you know, it's, you got to learn a whole nother, you know, it's, it's just different, right? The footwork, all that's just different on the other side. So I, I, you know, you hear it compared to getting, you know, wiping with the other hand, right? Hey, that doesn't, that doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't, you know, it's not as easy. Uh, okay. Well, that was a, a, that was a great way to jump off to the next guy. Uh, Charles O'Menehue, the pass rusher um, from the Niners. He was with the Texans before Texans traded him um, in his third season to the Niners and, and he instantly became one of their, you know, situational pass rushers. We all know the 49ers have that that gauntlet of guys that they just send at you in their four man rushes. And he was one of them, man. And 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 he's a disruptive guy. Uh, you know, hey Caleb, I, I'll start with you. Uh, you know, I was the one who broke him down for AP Filmer. I, I was the one who put out the article. But you know, we've obviously all got eyes on him. And just what do you think he brings to the Chiefs? Let's just talk about, you know, what he, who he is as a player, and and what do you, how do you think he fits into the Chiefs? pass rush i guess or just the defensive front as in general what do you think so he's you know he's a guy that i think the chiefs have already got a couple of guys like him on the roster but he could play outside or inside primarily going to be a pass rush guy and you know when he's on the outside he's going to use his length a lot of the time when he's on the inside he's going to use a lot of those hand swipes and some of that quickness honestly you know he can line up three tech four eye can put him out on a five or six He's going to, you know, he's going to make an impact to be able to rush the passer from any of those spots. He's really, I don't know, for being a situational player, I've been, you know, from the film I've watched on him, I've been pretty impressed. I think maybe he could have earned some more snaps. I have a feeling the Chiefs are about to play him a whole lot more than he's been played thus far in his career. But by bringing him in now, you take a look at what the Chiefs currently have on their defensive line. A lot of versatile guys where you can kind of say, well, these guys all kind of do the same thing. So it feels like the Chiefs are trying to build up a gauntlet of pass rushers, you know, any kind of way that, you know, however they can, you know, they have these guys that can do similar things. What I think, you know, I think his big thing, though, definitely his size. You know, you said maybe he's not a true 280, but that honestly him being a little quicker on the inside, I think helps him in some of those pass rushing situations. Yeah, no, I'm glad you, you talked about that because I should have let off with, with just his measurables. Cause I do think it's the significant part about Charles Amenahue is he is 6'5", came in at 280 at the Combine and, and has been listed at 280 on any NFL page ever since, which we'll get into that. But 85 and a half inch wingspan, 36 inch arms, obviously just a super long dude. You're, you're not going to find longer arms than that. Uh, and, and 36 and a half inch vertical, um, that's a 91st percentile for defensive lineman at the NFL Combine. So explosive, long. But yeah, 280. In my opinion, you watch him. I don't think he's playing at 280. I think he's more no, playing no closer way. to 270. Okay, thank you. I'm not crazy. I, I, <laughs> no, I he's dropped weight. I so the reason why I say yeah, that is ahead, I man. watched some of his 2019 Texans film, 
he he's heavier. You can tell, like he's just heavier on there. Okay, and, um, and that's what I've yet to do is go back because I wanted to do that. Yeah. So I'm glad you did that. But he's yeah, dropped so weight. He, I, I can. So let me. I can guarantee it. Yeah. And let me ask you to to go off of that. Do you do you think he should put on back that weight? Like, do you think that's beneficial for him in Kansas City, or do you like him where he was at with San Francisco? Well, I'll kind of segue that into my man who thoughts in general. Um, if I would say. The best way to compare him is if you put Carlos Dunlap with Mike Dana's interior passage ability, that's Charles Amenehu. Uh, like and and that, that, that sounds interesting, but it's like both Dunlap and Amenehu kind of win with more like uh, length and like striding around the corner while also like winning with power. Um, Amenehu is a very, very good interior pass rusher. I mean, I, I knew he was a good interior pass rusher, but I didn't realize he was that good. His balance, his length, his explosiveness, mm-hmm. it's – it's like it's the tangible impact. He can beat pretty much anyone on a one-on-one uh, from what I saw. Here's what I find interesting about Charles Menhu, and I've thought about it the past couple of days. You know, back in Houston, he was mainly like a sub, you know, sub-package rusher. He didn't play a lot of defensive end. For the 49ers, he was essentially a third down inside passer specialist and a backup mm-hmm. defensive end. What I'm kind of getting to this is Charles Menhu hasn't played a lot of defensive end in the NFL. It's just something that hasn't been a thing that he's done a lot in the NFL. And this is kind of another question I have is like, yes, he has obviously all the length. And I, I do think he has the trace to be a very good run defender. But the 49ers styles of run defense is very much different from the Chiefs. Uh, the 49ers, they like to penetrate. They do a lot of slants, a lot of gap exchanges. They're just flying for TFLs. They're flying upfield. It's not how the, the way the Chiefs defend the run. This isn't like a point of concern for me, but I do kind of wonder – if there's some sort of learning curve for Charles Amenhu uh, coming to Kansas City, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe in year one or like maybe the first few weeks, Charles Amenhu is not playing a ton of snaps uh, like on the base defensive end because it's honestly something he hasn't done a lot. Like if you go, he would only play maybe two series a game at defensive end for the Niners. And then besides that, it was almost all inside. I, I, what do you guys think about that? That's something that's kept popping in my head the past couple of days is he's really inexperienced as a defensive end for a guy that has like the pressure numbers that he does. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com slash Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. 